What method or methods could best improve your prayer life and deepen your spiritual life? That's a question we're going to pursue today. There's a lot of advice out there in the world, and you can Google it, you can look for books on, on spirituality on Amazon or on Audible, and you're going to get a plethora of choices about what spirituality and how to advance in your spiritual life. But there is a 3,000-year-old tradition in the Judeo-Christian tradition that gives us time-tested and divinely revealed answers towards how we can grow in union with God, which is the goal of prayer. And joining me today, and we're going to be talking about his new book, which is a fantastic roadmap for that 3,000-year tradition, both looking at Scripture and the life of the church and the saints, to open up a roadmap for you to pursue the most effective methods to grow in your prayer life and your spiritual life. And joining me to talk about that is the author of this great new book that I'm, I'm so excited about, Introduction to the Spiritual Life by Dr. Brant Petrie. He is a distinguished research professor here at the Augustine Institute. And it's, uh, it's a great joy, Brant, to have you back on. Thanks for inviting me, Tim. It's wonderful to be with you. Well, you know, Brent, when we talk about method, people know that there's methods like vocal prayer, like a prayer that you memorize, like the Our Father, or meditation that we talked about last week, and contemplation. And, uh, you know, oftentimes people think of other methods that might help them, maybe a breathing rhythm, maybe, you know, they think, you know, yoga in a certain sitting position might help them. But there's something a lot deeper and yet a lot more challenging in some ways to grow in union with God, and that is the pursuit of the virtues. So I love that in the center of your introduction to the spiritual life, you spend the heart of this book talking about virtues and their opposing vices. So why'd you do that? Yeah, um, well, the reason I did that is because when I began to study the spiritual classics of the Christian tradition, one of the things I noticed was that a lot of the saints and mystics were really clear about the fact that the, the Christian spiritual path, the Christian spiritual life, was not just about this method of prayer or that method of prayer or having this kind of experience in prayer or that kind of, you know, visions or whatnot, but that at the heart of it, the saints and the spiritual classics agree that the goal of prayer, the goal of meditation, the goal of contemplative prayer is growth in virtue by growing closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Mm. And in particular, the saints will often express that by looking at uh, what the tradition has called the seven capital sins, right? Some, sometimes called the seven deadly sins, but more precisely the seven capital sins, things like pride, a disordered love of self, or anger, or envy, or avarice, lust, greed, gluttony, sloth, as well, uh, gluttony, sloth, as well as their opposing virtues. Things like humility and mercy, generosity, chastity, temperance, mm. and, uh, and, and diligence, right? And so as I began to study spiritual classics, I began to realize, wait a second, um, this means that walking the path of prayer with Jesus is going to make some demands on me. And it's going to, it's, he's calling me to grow in virtue and to bear fruit. Do you think, Brent, I, just a, sure. I, I'm struck by two things. First off, uh, is that why in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the fourth pillar on prayer is, 
preceded by the third pillar, which is the moral life, the life of virtue. In other words, is the catechism saying that we have to grow in the moral life to be able to grow in the spiritual life? A lot of people would have thought, well, let's, let's do prayer and that'll follow, but it kind of, it's, it's hard, chicken and egg, which goes first? No, it is a chicken and egg thing. Well, th let me, I'll put it this way. So think about it this way. Part three of the catechism is absolutely focused on the moral life in Christ, on growth in virtue. But it's ordered around the Ten Commandments, right? So, and, and what the Ten Commandments are about, I have a whole chapter in the book on this, are really about how to love God well and how to love our neighbor well, right? Uh, and they're wonderful, and it's a beautiful, it's, a, it's see, the Ten Commandments, according to Moses, actually, even in the Old Testament, aren't just a set of rules. They are a path that leads to life. They're the path of life. So we have to walk on this path through obedience. But... It, although it starts there with the commandments, it goes deeper into vices and virtues. And the way I show this in the book is, uh, for, for example, many Catholics are familiar with the practice of the examination of conscience, right? Where we look at our lives, we examine our hearts, where have we sinned, where have we, where have we fallen? And a lot of times people do that according to the Ten Commandments, right? So, you know, the commandments against idolatry and blasphemy, adultery, things like that, murder. And if we examine our hearts just according to the Ten Commandments, we can come out looking pretty good, right? Like you might think, okay, well, I haven't, you know, I haven't worshipped any cows yep. today. <laughs> I haven't killed anybody. I mean, how many yep. people said that? I didn't kill yep. anybody. You know, yep. I didn't commit adultery. I must be a saint, right? Yeah. Well, if you if you press deeper into uh, not just the commandments, but the the capital sins, things like anger and envy or gluttony, right? A disordered desire for pleasure, a disordered desire for possessions, a disordered love of myself. Once I start examining my heart according to those seven capital sins, uh-oh, mm. I, I start to realize I've got a lot of growing to do. Absolutely. And so in the... Before we dive into some of that, I yeah. want to invite our audience. If you have questions about the spiritual life and the virtues and the vices and how do you progress in, in this spiritual life, uh, text us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. So the text line is 720-650-0100. So just text your question, we'd love to have it. So, uh, no, Brian, I, I love this because I remember reading The Interior Castle by Teresa of Avila, and you know, here you have this great mystic, and she's going into the, in, into the interior castle, and I thought, great, as we get closer and closer to the center, I'm gonna learn all kinds of mystical knowledge that I, I don't know. And when she gets to, the, to the, the, the most interior part of the castle, she basically is addressing her sisters, and she says, look, if, if you want union with Christ, here's what you have to do. And I'm like, all right, I'm on, on the edge of my seat, what do I have to do? And she's like, you have to love your sister. You have to practice the virtues. And so, you know, this, the, the secret to success in the mystical life is to live the virtuous life. That seems to be what the saints are saying, isn't it? That is exactly right. That is exactly right. And, and, and yet, Tim, I, I, would, I would venture to suggest, at least in my own experience, we don't hear as much about how to do that. How do I avoid pride and grow in humility? How do I avoid avarice and grow in generosity? How do I avoid lust and grow in chastity, right? Or, or and, avoid and sloth and grow I, in diligence? I, I love that. That's the question, Brent. And I love how you tackle that practically because let's just take you, you deal with a, a whole chapter for each of the major seven sure. capital sins. Right. And uh, let's just take the first one, pride. And yeah. I, I love how you bring it first, you root it in scripture. And then you talk about how 
all right, here's what pride is, here's what it's not, and then you talk about here's the solution, that is what's the virtue that's going to heal us from pride. So give us some examples from that, from that chapter, I love yeah, it. Yeah, great. So pride, uh, just to define our terms here, is a kind of, it's a disordered self-love and a kind of irrational desire for self-exaltation. It's where we tend to make ourselves the center of the universe, mm -hmm. which of course the center of the universe is God, <laughs> but we tend to you know, push him off the throne and put ourselves in his place, right? So if you look, the very first uh, problem described in scripture in the book of Genesis comes from Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, their desire to quote, be like God, yeah. but not by imitating him, but by disobeying his command not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So right from the beginning, we see Adam and Eve leave human nature in a, in a broken state where we have this inclination to love ourselves more than we love our neighbor and even more than we love God, even though that's irrational, it doesn't make any sense. So as I walk through the scriptures, this is amazing. I saw, like, for example, in the book of Proverbs, it describes pride not just as, you know, an undesirable attribute that some people have, like we all know arrogant people, but it actually says in Proverbs 16 that everyone who is arrogant is an abomination yeah. to the Lord. I mean, that's really serious, right? Mm -hmm. So when Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he's going to give this list of vices in Mark chapter 7 that he says flow out of the heart of man. And that actually defile us. So while the Pharisees were concerned about being defiled by eating with unwashed hands, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's out of the heart of man that come evil thoughts. And then one of the things he lists is pride, right? This disordered self-love. He says, that's what defiles us. And then he gives a great example of this in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? In the famous story of the Pharisee who goes up to the temple and says, you know, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men, you know, like these like adulterers and thieves or this tax collector here. Whereas the tax collector, he's in, a, in the back pew, he's at the back of the temple. And he says, he won't even look up and he says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Mm. Now in the Greek, and you know this Tim, but I, I, this really hit me. When it says that the Pharisee was praying, it literally says mm. yeah. he stood and prayed to himself. To himself. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. No, and you right? miss that. It kills me about the translation because that's really important. It's really important. In other words, he's not having so much a dialogue with God, but with himself. He's that's turned, exactly right. It just shows you what, Saint, uh, what Pope Francis talks about is the problem of so many people in the world is they're turned in on themselves. And this is a perfect example, isn't it? That's exactly right. And that's what pride is, right? It's a disordered self-love where we give to ourselves what actually belongs to God, even insofar as almost to, to, to pray to ourselves. Hmm. Now that might sound terrible, but look, how many of us, let's be honest, when we're in our prayer time, what do we end up doing? Monologuing, right? Yeah. So we talk, 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 talk. And when we're done talking, prayer is over, right? Yeah. We all know somebody who's like that, who monologues and is, they're not really listening to you. They're not paying attention to you. They're not really talking to you. They're just talking to themselves. Well, that's so easy for us to do in our own prayer. And what is, why do we do that? Well, it's because we're all broken and we're all inclined to that pride, to that disordered self-love. So what Jesus teaches his disciples is rather than to have a prideful attitude, that they need to cultivate the virtue of humility. And in fact, this is the first thing he says in the very first sermon he gives, first words out of his mouth, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. And as I show in the book, if you go back to the book of Proverbs 29, verse 23, uh, to be poor in spirit or lowly in spirit is a very Jewish way of talking about the virtue of humility, humility. I love, Brent, that, you know, I think a lot of people, when they think about, I'm going to read it uh, about the virtues or the vices, yeah. uh, they read a, a treatise that seems to be philosophical and yeah. abstract. And what you're doing is you're trying to root this into the scriptures and ground it in the Word of God. And that really is unique, I, I, at least in contemporary times. I mean, I know that the, the great doctors and, sure. and church fathers would ground things in scripture, but you're really trying to do that intentionally here, and I think it makes a big difference. Yeah, what I'm trying to do in this book is give a biblical roadmap to the spiritual life, right? So this isn't what about Brant Petrie thinks or this or that saying even, although we're going to draw on their wisdom. This is really about what does the Bible teach about growth in virtue and rooting out vice. I mean, Tim, I was honestly blown away when I started working on this and in the chapter on the seven capital sins that I realized that, for example, the book of Proverbs deals with every one of the capital sins, yeah. all seven of them, and not just those seven. It also deals, it teaches the opposing virtues, right? Yeah. So it, scripture doesn't just leave us lamenting the fact that we're sinful and filled with vice. It actually gives us specific teachings to help us root those vices out and grow in their opposing virtues. Yeah, uh, true confession. When I was originally drafting the book, my wife was reading the chapters. Originally, I just had chapters on each vice, and she said, "This is too heavy. You got you got to give me some hope here, right?" And she suggested that I also look at each virtue as I looked at the vices, and that was a brilliant suggestion. Oh, that was because, fantastic suggestion. Yeah, because it, it it does help give you some light at the end of the tunnel because yeah. we can all see the vices in ourselves if we're honest with mm -hmm. ourselves, right? But the question then becomes, well, what do I do now? How do yeah. I make progress? Well, turn to the teachings of Jesus, because he's going to teach you how to be humble, merciful, generous, chaste, temperate, diligent, right? All these things are going to flow out of the teachings of Jesus, especially the parables of Jesus. That's well, where he gives us many of his teachings. What I love about this, and I want to talk about some of the examples of how you use the parables in this, but i just going to give you an antidote from somebody I talked to yesterday that was, was uh, one of the things you, you cited in, in one of these chapters help them see, they knew where their weakness was, but they didn't know where to go in terms of the counter, to counteract it. And it gave them a resolution, and they put a quote up from your book on their, on their they said on their, uh, on their door, uh, so they would see that all the time. And uh, so that was, I, I love that practical element. I think that's really important for people. You know, one of, the, one of our viewers asked a question, are Catholics supposed to pursue all the virtues, and isn't that overwhelming? Okay, this is a great question. So am I supposed to pursue all the virtues or isn't that overwhelming? So the answer is yes and no. <laughs> Classic <laughs> Catholic answer, right? So yeah. On the one hand, absolutely yes, you're supposed to be pursue all the virtues. But you don't have to do it all at the same time. This is important, right? So it's uh, to paraphrase St. Paul, I can do all things through Paul through sorry, through Paul. No. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me but not all at the same time. So one of the things the saints will frequently do is as you're ex practicing the examination of heart or the examination of conscience, and you're looking at yourself and thinking, where have I fallen into pride or envy or avarice or lust or gluttony or sloth? One of the things to do is to try to also pay attention to which of these seven is my predominant fault? Which is the one, which is the one I fall into the most? 
And if you can't figure it out, just ask your spouse or your children. They'll probably they'll probably give you a pretty good idea. Or if you live with a, a religious community, ask your brothers or your sisters. You know, uh, people who live with you will often be very aware of your predominant fault. And then what the saints will say is, focus on that one. Focus on that one. Because if you begin to grow in one virtue, guess what happens? You start to grow in all the other virtues little by little as well, because they're all interconnected. They're all part of this one tree of mm. the soul. I have a whole chapter here on the on the tree of the soul. Like Jesus will compare. I the love human that chapter, soul. by the way. I thought that was a brilliant chapter, Brent. Just Thanks, love that. Tim. Yeah. I, I really, yeah, that, that one blew me away too. Because, you know, Jesus says he compares the human soul to a tree. He says you, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. So if the, if the soul is like a tree, then the health of one branch can strengthen the health of the other branches. Likewise, the, the sickness of one branch can infect the whole tree. So focusing on one virtue, whatever your predominant fault might be, and, and trying to grow in the, I'm sorry, focusing on one vice, and then trying to grow in the opposing virtue is a basic teaching of the spiritual masters that can help make it seem like, wait a second, this isn't unattainable. Um, I'm going to spend all of Lent just focusing on humility or spend all of Lent just focusing on generosity or I'll spend a whole year focusing on generosity. You do that by the end of that year, I bet you, you'll also be, have begun to grow in those other virtues as well. You know, Trudy asks, and this fits with what you're saying right now, Brent, uh, do most people have pet sins that follow them throughout their life and are we meant really to conquer them? Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, the answer is yes. Most people do have pet sins that follow them throughout their life. And yes, you are meant to conquer them. Now, I would say, just as a quick caveat, that in this regard, it is very important to recognize that there is a distinction here that needs to always be kept in mind between mortal sin and venial sin, right? So I, in the chapter on the Ten Commandments, I go through what uh, the church describes as, as mortal sins, right? The, the, you know, things like adultery, murder, right? blasphemy, idolatry. According to Jesus, following those basic laws of the Old Testament, um, th this, is, this is the entryway into the spiritual life, right? So if you're still engaged in habitual acts of adultery, or if you're a murderer and you're unrepentant, okay, you haven't actually even started down the path of, of discipleship to Jesus. You got to enter the doorway first, right? But once you once you put those things behind you in your life through the grace of repentance, right, and you begin to move forward, you, there are still going to be venial sins and these vices, these inclinations to vice that are going to be part of your battle that you have to, to, to accomplish. And so although in this life, as the saints will say, um, it's almost impossible for us to be free, especially of involuntary venial sins, faults and things that we slip in through, either through weakness or through temperament or through ignorance. We do need to do battle against deliberate venial sin, against deliberate vices. And that's where these seven capital sins and the seven opposing virtues come in, because they help us to become aware of what those venial sins are. And then they also give us strategies for how to cultivate the virtues that oppose them. So Brent, that do you think that problem. when people go to confession, once they start to have the habit of going to confession every two weeks or every month, that they'll, people will say, well, I keep confessing the same thing. Is that a, is that a clue towards what the predominant fault might be? Yeah, that's, I'm sure any priest out there would, would verify that. Yeah, so if you're continuing to confess the same sin over and over again, well then 
in, in the book, check out that chapter on that particular vice, read it, pray with it. And then with your spiritual director or a spiritual companion or a spouse or friend who, who's also journeying that path, come up with some practical strategies to focus your energy against fighting that particular sin and trying to grow in the opposing virtue. It's really important. This is so crucial. Don't just try to root out the vice. Don't leave an empty space in the heart, but try to fill that with virtue. Can I give you just one example, Tim? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the saints will talk about, uh, and I have a chapter on on lust, right? Which is a very prevalent sin in our in our day and time, especially with the, the pornographic culture that we that we live in these mm -hmm. days. And since ancient times, the, the saints will tell, they would give advice to Christians trying to overcome that sin to say, okay, there are some specific things you can do. For example, practice fasting. This helps you to grow in self-control of the desires of the body. But you know what else they said? Regular meditation on scripture helps you not just to root out evil thoughts and evil or lustful thoughts and lustful desires from your mind and heart, but to fill the mind and to fill the heart with the purity of God's word, with the beauty of God's word as a way of filling up the soul and strengthening it so that it learns to desire what is pure and good and beautiful rather than what is lustful or what is you know, earthly in, in this way. And in fact, Psalm 119, how can a young man keep its way pure? He said, it says, I have laid up your word in my heart. Mm. Right? So, a, yeah. you know, chastity can help. One of the basic teachings of the saints, meditation on scripture can help you grow in chastity. I think that's so important, Brent. And I think you use these kinds of examples, just pulling from our rich tradition where <laughs> people are like, okay, if I struggle with lust, all right, then Lexio Divina, this practice of meditation is, is a solution towards that. And then, you know, you also mentioned in the book fasting, and I think you have a great quote from St. Basil the Great about yeah. how fasting, if you, if you learn to fast and regulate with food, you can conquer all these other vices. And I think that, I think of the penitentials from the, even the Irish penitentials from the fifth century, sixth century, are already saying that as, as a penance for people who, go against chastity to give up meat. Like if you committed adultery, you weren't allowed to have meat in your diet for one to three years. Um, right. and, and, and that wasn't them just being mean. Right. That was them recognizing that if I want to be able to conquer a disordered desire for this kind of pleasure of the flesh, it's helpful for me to practice conquering that desire for another pleasure of the flesh, that they all go together. They're related to one another. So that's there's spiritual wisdom in that, that I think in, in modern times we, we might have lost and we need to recover. I think right that's right. I think that we've lost the sense that penance is therapeutic, as you yes. just outlined. It's, it's really to help heal the weakness of our will and, uh, and to strengthen it. Well, you know, one of the things, Brent, and what's, a, what's one of the, the virtues and vices that you, you delved into in your research for this book that really surprised you? You've you got a whole different angle on something that, uh, that really was like, wow, people don't know this about this virtue or this vice. I mean, yeah, I, no, that's, that's a great question. Uh, it, hmm. I, okay, you want me to be honest? It was, it was the chapter on sorrow. Mm, yep. Yep. So if you look at the spiritual tradition, there is a debate. Some spiritual writers will talk about seven capital sins, and others will talk about eight, eight. Yep. all right? Uh, going back to Jesus's parable about the seven evil spirits, or is it seven or is it eight? You know, there's, a, there's an ambiguity there. And so there was a ch the chapter, there's a chapter here on the sin of sorrow. 
And I was like, wait, I thought sorrow is just an emotion. But if you look at scripture, Paul will clearly talk about two kinds of sorrow, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. But then he also mentions this thing called worldly sorrow that leads to death. And I thought, what is that? And so I began to study, and this is the kind of sorrow that you see, for example, Job's wife mm-hmm. exhibit in the book of Job, where when she experiences suffering or tragedy, her reaction to that is not to go deeper into prayer, but to say, you know, tell Job, curse God and die, right? It's, it's, it, it's a hatred of God that flows out of suffering. It's an irrational response to suffering. So as I began to study, I, this really struck me that the book of Proverbs is really clear that there's a kind of sorrow that breaks our spirit, that dries up the bone, that harms our hearts. Um, and Jesus himself, you know, talks about um, in the gospel, the, the gospel readers tell us that when Jesus encounters that rich young man, it says he went away sad because he had many possessions, right? So Jesus was asking him to, to suffer, to give up his possessions, but he was so attached to them that the sadness that overcame him at the thought of losing that the, the pleasures of this life or the, his possessions, may, it, it actually led him to turn away and abandon following Jesus. And so for me, recognize just in my own life too, as I've, I've, real, I've gone through sorrows and had sufferings, realize that suffering can be a temptation to turn away from God, to, to kind of fall into a sadness that isn't healthy, but is spiritually damaging or deadly. And so the virtue that the saints will counter that ungodly sorrow with is the virtue of patience, willingness to suffer, even when we don't understand, even when we can't see out of the darkness, that willingness to suffer and and, and grieve, to be sure, Job grieved, yeah. right? Yep. He, he tore his clothes, he put ashes on his yep. head, he mourned, but it didn't make him stop praying. Yeah, you know, you mentioned patience there, and I think it's so powerful and potent, and I love what you describe about you know that in the New Testament, especially in the latter half of the New Testament, in a book like the book of Revelation or in some of the later epistles, sure. hupomone, this idea of yeah. patient endurance, mm-hmm. is one of the most important virtues that keeps being uh, held up to the Christians. What is uniquely Christian about that virtue? Yeah, well, it's uniquely Christian about that virtue. It's not like a stoic stiff upper lip, like I'm just going to, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to take it, right, and endure. Mm-mm-mm. No, no. Hupomone, the patient endurance of Christianity, is a willingness to accept my own participation in the mystery of the cross, right? Mm. It's a redemptive suffering where I allow myself to be conformed to Christ crucified, not for the sake of the pain itself, but because through the love of the cross, suffering is transformed and it's made redemptive. It has the power to change hearts, to change souls, to change my own, and the power to to participate in the salvation that Christ brings through the world. So yeah, no, Tim, you're absolutely right. And I I just, for me, this chapter was important. I wrote this in the middle of the pandemic, right? The COVID shutdowns. And one of the things I've noticed is there's a kind of malaise that's settled, not only just national, but almost globally, like this sorrow, the sadness, this fear that's flowing out of the suffering. And we as Christians, of course, we need to grieve. Grief is godly. Jesus himself wept at Lazarus's death, right? Right. Right. He said in the Garden of Gethsemane, my soul is sorrowful even unto death. But what does he do with his sorrow? He gets on his knees, he prays, and he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done, right? 
So that willingness to abandon ourselves to divine providence and the mystery of the cross in patience, in patient endurance and suffering, that's a virtue. That's a Christian virtue that we need to hear more about because we need it in our day and our time, I think, more than ever. We do, absolutely. And that's why I, I just can't recommend this book enough to our audience. If you're, you know, here we are at the beginning of a new year, and uh, this is a great introduction to the spiritual life. It gives you a roadmap. And even if you've practiced the spiritual life, as Brian said, what's fresh about this reading, this introduction to the spiritual life, is it takes it back to its biblical roots with a focus on Jesus Christ. And, you know, taking these great methods, whether it's, you know, vocal prayer, meditation, contemplation, Lectio Divina, almsgiving, fasting, prayer, or looking at pride, lust, sloth, um, all these different challenges that we face in how to live well, right? All these are taken back to Christ, Brant, in your book, and I really love how you do that. And I really want to recommend uh, for people to get this book, and uh, it's not too late to start your New Year's resolution. If you, if you haven't done a resolution or, or if you, you chose one that, like, I'm just going to lose weight, well, choose something a little bit more ambitious spiritually because that's what God wants for you. And uh, get this book. You can get it at, at catholic.market. And uh, we have the book there. So you can get this book by Brian Petrie, uh, Introduction to the Spiritual Life. And you can get it at catholic.market. And, you know, uh, Brian, I, I just want to thank you for joining us and for sharing this great work. It's, it's a really important service. Thank you, Tim, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope that it'll be a blessing to everybody oh. as they try to make, you know, progress on the spiritual path that Jesus gave us. Yeah, no, there's nothing more exciting than doing to begin that journey. And so this is a great roadmap for you on your spiritual journey to draw ever closer to Christ. That's the great invitation we all have as Christians. And a special thanks to everyone who's in our mission circle. You know, for giving just $10 or more a month, you can become a mission partner with us here at the Augusta Institute and help us get the good news out to many, many souls. Help support our faculty like Dr. Brant Petrie and Dr. Ben Akers and help us with our work. So thank you for supporting us and may the Lord bless and keep you all. Take care. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org. You can watch this show in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.